Story eleven of Young Readers Science Fiction Stories by Richard Mace Elam. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Story eleven Castaways in Space. The two of them had just shoved the supply case against the chute door when the spaceship gave an unexpected burst of rocket power, knocking Skip Miller against the release lever. The escape door shot up, and a big square of black space opened before the boys' eyes. Glenn Hartzell was stunned to see his friend go spinning down the incline and follow the supply case toward the open door. Automatically, Glenn stretched his lean body full length, trying to grasp Skip's spacesuit before he escaped. But his momentum sent him skidding down the slope, and the next thing he knew he was out in space too. A week ago, Glenn wouldn't have cared whether he faced death or not. He and Skip had just made the scorned fraternity of walkies, washed-out cadets. His failure had cut like a knife. He had wanted to pilot ships through the depth of space more than anything else in the world. Instead, he and Skip had been assigned to ground crews on Mars. That, at least, had been their destination until Skip's elbow unexpectedly made them castaways in space. Glenn's first thought was directed to Skip, who looked like a toy balloon as he drifted through the vacuum. "'Skip!' he called over his spacesuit radio. "'Do you hear me, Skip?' "'Yes, Glenn!' Skip's reply was scarcely more than a squeak. Glenn looked down, and ahead, where a massive rock some ten miles in diameter hung in the starry emptiness. "'If we make Phobos, we may be all right.' "'We're done for!' Skip groaned. "'We're not!' Glenn's wits were sharpened by the danger. We're lined up pretty well with Phobos, she doesn't have any gravity to speak of, and we may be able to land on her. We won't make Phobos, Skip argued. We'll either run into Mars' gravity field and crash on its surface, or float through space until our air runs out. Oh, shut up, Skip. Glenn's tone was sharp. Listen to me. See if you can pick up a little speed by kicking out behind you with your feet and hands. If you can catch up with the supply case, hang on. Skip didn't reply, but Glenn saw his arms and legs begin to move. Glenn worked his own. It was a grueling effort, but Glenn found that he was able to increase his speed much in the manner of a spaceship's thrust. By the time Glenn touched Skip's suit, both of them were sucking freely of their precious oxygen. "'What's the idea?' Skip asked as his gloved hand clutched the strap of the supply case and Glenn held on to him. "'We'll use the case as a buffer to break our fall,' Glenn exclaimed. "'Remember, it's covered with foam rubber so that it won't shatter when it hits.' The two had been preparing to drop the emergency supply case on Mars at the time of the accident. Glenn was glad now that they'd donned spacesuits. Glenn saw that the spaceship was now only a tiny needle against the red disk of Mars. He and Skip had probably not even been missed by the crew. When they did find out, they wouldn't know where to look for the boys. Phobos was a jagged, frightening giant below, but Glenn held nothing but love for it. Their speed had increased slightly, but it did not look as if they would hit the ground dangerously fast. Glenn felt Skip's muscles tense for the landing. "'Steady, fellow!' Glenn breathed. He felt a rough jar in the pit of his stomach. Glenn bounced off Skip's back as though he were rubber. 
He spread out his arms to ease his fall, then was surprised to find his body settling down to rest as lightly as a leaf. Glenn felt a prickly chill in his cheeks. "'We've got practically no weight at all,' he breathed. Skip had almost drifted off into space again, but Glenn grabbed his leg and pulled him back. "'It's a crazy world, isn't it?' Skip searched the rocky landscape that sloped down from them on both sides. It was weird to be on a globe so tiny you were conscious of its roundness. Glenn nodded. We've really got to keep both feet on the ground. What if they don't find us, Glenn? Skip asked. What then? I don't know, Skip, Glenn sighed. Let's see what's in the supply case. Glenn was able to crawl better than he could walk over to the supply case. Skip followed. Glenn pressed a button on the case and the top sprang up. Whew, there's not much that isn't included, Skip said. Spare oxygen tanks, a bubble tent outfit, food capsules, water maker, first aid, flares, books, electronic stove heater. Let's put up the bubble tent, Glenn said. It'll help save our heat. As he had learned in cadet training, he removed a cylinder from the outfit and pulled a lever. It popped open and a plastic bubble began growing out of it. The bubble, which was slightly oblong and transparent, enlarged to about seven feet, then detached itself from the cartridge airtight. After it had hardened for several minutes, Glenn took an electric saw from the kit and cut a small door in the side. They made hinges from self-sealing plastic strips. They used the foam rubber from around the case for flooring, then put the supplies inside the bubble. They turned on the heater and then turned off the heat units in their suits. How long do you figure our supplies can last, Glenn? Skip asked. They're supposed to last two people ten days, Glenn replied. Don't you remember that question on our exam? Oh, don't remind me, Skip said. I'm tired of hearing about the cadet corps. Oh, I know, Glenn said bitterly. How could they flunk us on one question? Skip asked. It wasn't fair. I agree with you. Glenn answered, but the fact remains that we've got to take it. Skip chuckled grimly. You talk as if we have a lifetime ahead of us. We don't know whether we've got tomorrow. Which reminds me, we'd better send off some flares to let somebody know where we are. Glenn picked up some of the rocket flares and drifted out of the bubble tent. He set up a flare on its tripod legs, pointing it at Mars's ruddy face, and pulled on the release catch but it wouldn't move. It's jammed. Glenn tried another rocket and got the same result. Then another and another. They were all useless. All the catches warped, possibly from having been kept too near a heat source in the ship. How are we going to signal Mars now? Skip asked. Anything we toss out will be drawn to the planet by its gravitation. Glenn was thinking out loud. How about throwing out some of the extra supplies we have? Skip proposed. We can attach a note. It's a million to one shot they'd be found. Don't you realize that only a fraction of Mars has colonists? No, I'm afraid we'd wait here until doomsday if we had to count on that. But what else is there to do? Skip's eyes were round with dread. Glenn fought down his own sudden despair. It looks as though we'll have to get to Mars on our own, Skip. Now you're crazy. We'd be smashed to pieces. Not the way I'm thinking. A plan was forming in Glenn's mind as he scrambled into the bubble tent and came out with one of their engineering books. 
Skip watched in amazement as Glenn began working math problems in the dirt with a piece of stone. After a while, Glenn said, I think it'll work, Skip. Want to take a chance? I'd like to know what it is first. We can use the chute from the supply case and attach it to the bubble, Glenn explained. Then we can ride in the bubble to Mars. <laughs> Sounds fantastic. I figured it every way I know, Glenn said. At least it's better than sitting here and hoping we'll accidentally be found. Shall we try it? Skip shrugged. Well, it's our only chance, but I hope you've figured all the angles. Uh, we'd better get started right away, Glenn advised. We may need all our air tanks if we have to do some walking when we land. They set to work fastening the lines of the chute around and under the plastic bubble. They used more of the plastic strips to secure the lines tightly. The chute was still folded since the vacuum on Phobos had failed to trip the automatic release. The boys decided to carry only a minimum of supplies to make their weight as light as possible. When they were ready to go, they climbed into the bubble and Glenn shoved them off with one foot outside the door. Then he closed the door. How long will it take us to get there? Skip asked. I figured on about a hundred hours, Glenn answered. That should put us close to Mars City, figuring on Mars rotation. But if it doesn't, we should be able to reach some research settlement. They moved slowly at first. Glenn hoped for only enough speed to carry them into Mars' gravity pull. As they approached the red planet, their speed would increase, and that worried Glenn. If they whacked into Mars' air blanket too fast, the chute might be ripped from the bubble. To while away the many hours, the boys dozed and took turns reading the one novel they had brought along. Their legs soon became cramped and sore, and they would have given a good deal to have been able to stretch or walk about. On the third day, the boys could see the canals crisscrossing in a tangled network on the ruddy globe of Mars. On the fourth day, just as Glenn had figured, the glassite domes of Mars City began to show through the violet haze of atmosphere. Glenn wondered how fast they were going. There was no way to tell, because their insulation kept them from feeling the rush of air. "'Cross your fingers, Skip,' Glenn warned. "'Our chute should open in the next few minutes.' The seconds appeared to last hours as they waited, and Glenn suffered a torture of suspense. What if the chute did not open? In that case, they would end up in fragments on Mars's red earth. Or what if the force of the air should jerk the chute off the bubble? Even as Glenn worried, he felt a sharp drag and was tumbled over on Skip. Look, the chute's open, Skip pointed overhead. Some minutes later, the red ground rushed up at them like an enfolding blanket. Their final problem faced them now. If they landed safely, they would have conquered space in a way no spaceman had ever done before. Glenn's muscles drew tight, and his heart thumped rapidly as the last few hundred feet melted away. He wanted to close his eyes during these final seconds, but he forced himself to watch the rising ground so that he could brace himself at the moment of contact. He was glad they had the foam rubber cushion beneath them. Glenn counted off the last few feet. A hundred? Fifty? Twenty? As they struck, Glenn was thrown against the ceiling of the bubble. Plastic clattered against plastic as the bubble rolled over on the ground many times before stopping. Glenn straightened himself out, 
He was shaken up, but he was unhurt. He looked across at Skip. "'We made it!' Glenn said, but his voice shook as if he wasn't yet able to believe it. He tore off the door seals, shoved out the door. Then they got out and stretched their legs. Looking at the domes of Mars City in the distance, Glenn asked, "'Ready to start walking?' After being cooped up like a chicken, I'm willing to walk all over Mars. Let's go. Skip's natural good humor had returned. Less than an hour later, an astonished captain at the Mars City spaceport heard the boy's strange story. Your courage and ingenuity have been incredible, the captain said when they had finished. I can't believe that you two are walkies. If you weren't flunked for reasons of scholarship, I'm sure you'll be reinstated. "'We weren't flunked for that reason, sir,' Skip said. "'For what reason, then?' the captain asked. Glenn smiled wryly as he replied, "'We were flunked, sir, because we failed the test to determine whether we could bear up in an emergency or not.'" End of Story 11